0: You know, Billy Friedkin, years ago, I was, like, very young. I was, like, my, maybe my second or third job. And I and I said to him, I go, I go, Billy, what if I do this over here? And he goes, yeah, that's great, but you're not in the frame, so you're not in the movie.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm like, oh, copy that. Yeah, that's terrific, kid, but I don't know what movie you're in because you're not in this one.
1: Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors, I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from The Big Bang Theory or Speechless or the Netflix Channel 4 co-pro Feel Good. Our guest this week is Yul Vasquez, who you'll recognize as Pete from Severance, but has a really long and interesting career filled with uh, very zeitgeisty roles. Uh, we talk a little bit about his uh, tendency to, to book parts that, that sort of reflect something that's going on in the culture, whether it's a mistrust of corporate America in Severance whether it's the idea of a multiverse in Russian doll, whether it's people questioning the efficacy of the drug war in narcos. Um, And uh, we also talk a little bit about hair metal organically. It comes up very, very organically. He was in two bands that could come under that moniker, a Havana native who has lived in the United States since he was two. His career spans music and the visual arts and film and TV. There's some Seinfeld in there. There's the Mambo Kings. It's a really, really interesting, diverse road he has taken. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. And there's also some really good practical actor advice thrown in there. Please welcome our guest, Yule Vasquez. first of all you will thank you so much for for doing this and taking the time um i know you're uh you're, you're you. in miami right now and um i know you've you've got a lot of work to do so i appreciate you uh taking an hour hour and a half or so but i, w- I want to talk since we're discussing work i want to talk about severance because it seems like it's sort of an amazing time for that show to be on the air there's just this general sense since the pandemic of like okay our bosses want us to come to work, no matter what the cost. <laughs> you know, I, I, the show business has to go on, no matter what dangers uh, it, it imparts to our employees, all systems go. And then a show like Severance mm-hmm. comes along, and I'm assuming you shot it during the pandemic. In the, in the center of in it. In the center of it, yeah. I, can, I you, in you, a, it, You've you. all got masks in your Literally.
0: Oh yeah. No masks and shields. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Masks, max and shields. The, the, the thing about severance was that it was originally going to shoot. It was originally going to shoot in March. And then, Never. uh, the pandemic hit and then they pushed to September, September of 2020, right. which is still
1: no vaccines. You know, it's we're
0: yeah. right in the, right in the, right in it, man. There's no, no vaccine. No, there was no talk, you know, none of that was happening and, uh, push through a lot of regulations, you know, a a lot of, a lot of guidelines. Um, but very hard to do something that is a very acting, you know, as you know, it's a very personal endeavor. It, It requires it requires no masks <laughs> and no filters. It requires complete, uh, complete openness. And then to do it in, you know, all the rehearsals, everything was with a mask and a shield. Oh man. So we were required to wear shields as well. Uh, either shields or this eyewear. Okay. Because of course the the COVID could go into your eyes. Yeah. Um, the shield was like this, um, you know those collars that they put on dogs when they, they on their heads,
1: those yeah. cones? Yeah, to keep you from chewing your stitches. So,
0: right. So it was a collar and then the shield was only in the front and it went up. Oh, God. So and you had the mask and you had a shield. And in fact, I had, so, and everybody's shield had a name and I, you know, Adam had, says Adam or whatever. And then mine, I said, I wrote B. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> on mine. I was like, sure. I'm gonna do B Arthur. Why not? Yeah. Um yeah. And, and and Ben Ben was like, What is that? I'm like, you know, I just think that not enough attention is paid to
1: her. No, by all and means. And I
0: wanted to Yeah, I wanted to fucking, you know, like if we're gonna do this madness, let's fucking go let's go full tilt, man. Yeah, and you wanna honor you know? that legacy. Absolutely, with the fucking shields. By all means. You know, but the thing the crazy, the crazy thing was, you didn't want to cut, because when you cut, all the COVID officers would would come on with boxes, and then the and then the the she the mask and the shield would go on, and then they would sh- 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 spray our hands, and we yeah. go like this, and then that was ten minutes. Right, right. You know, so it so sometimes we just wouldn't cut. And we would just keep rolling and and the directions would come in and then nobody. And then when Ben had it, then he'd cut. But you could have takes that were 25, 30 minutes.
1: Well, that that was what takes on on the digital. Right, right. That was that was uh, that leads me to, to two more questions. What's interesting about your character, what distinguishes your character, particularly in the early episodes, is that you're the only guy who realizes how bad things are. So you've got to have an emotional rawness that the other characters have the luxury of not going to. You know, Peach is kind of falling apart because he has some idea of how bad things have gotten at the company, whereas everyone else is in their kind of, you know, they're they're quite literally separating their work and their life and they have no idea what the other hand is doing. So was it, did you think it was maybe a little extra challenging for you to get to that rawness while you're also, while your head's wrapped in gauze? hey yeah base, basically revved in gauze. Um,
0: yes, it, it so your your question is very interesting because um Pete also I also knew where I had to get. I knew I knew it was four episodes right I know exactly I knew exactly the trajectory. I didn't know I I wasn't I didn't have all the scripts okay but I knew from my discussions with Zooms I was here in Miami actually. And during because I land in Miami in March twelfth of twenty twenty.
1: That's the day before I LA landed. Locks down. I had been in yeah.
0: LA. Yo, I was the next day was locked down. Yeah,
1: because thir- it was Friday the thirteenth. I remember um, that everything shut down. Right? Yeah.
0: Correct. I had been in, L- in LA to do a reshoot or something, and landed here because I was coming here to. I had a show. I had an o- opening of of a. Uh, uh, I was having a gallery show.
1: Right, because you're and a painter and a photographer, as we discussed before. Yeah,
0: the thirteenth, everything shut down, and that was, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I had conversations from here with Ben, Zooms, and and Dan, and Adam. We, we we rehearsed. We were able to rehearse some things. So I knew where I had to go. Okay, you know. So that was. That was uh, um, that made it easier in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew where I had to wind up, so I had to. We had to pace this thing. You know, you didn't you didn't want to peak this thing too quick because we had to go to a very dark end in three. Right. So that was an advantage. The other the disadvantage was that it was it was a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and 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 Ben said, "Look, this you you're you're going to have to the show turns on you." Um, so you were, you, you know, you know, I said, I remember saying to him a couple of times while we were shooting, I said, fuck, this part is hard. And, and he said to me, yeah, that's why I fucking hired you.
1: Oh, that's nice to Like, hear.
0: he like basically like, like stop complaining about how hard the part is. That's why you're fucking here. Like, just shut up. Like, that's the part. We know that's the part. So, you know, you know, it's one of those things, you know, actors going like, fuck, man, how am I going to do this? because it was fucked up you know we looked at videos of guys convulsing and then the hemorrhaging and the, it was all oh really yeah well there was a you know the 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 the, the seizure mm-hmm. there's a shot he didn't use where I'm convulsing on the ground which may have been just too too much uh, for the, for the folks but um, um as I when I fall down yeah. from the freezers, it's, it's kind of, the guy's having a, it goes into a full on seizure, but so the answer to your question is, yes, it was very hard with all, with all the layers we had, but the advantage for me was that I knew, I knew where the finish line was. I knew what I had to get to. Okay. And if you know that it's kind of, you're kind of, it's, it's good because you then you can then, um, uh, you have a target. Yeah, it's, there, it's almost like an target. emotional
1: road map. Like you've got to hit this, this place and this place, and then eventually you're exactly. going to end up here. And and that end point is the furthest you have to go, so you know how to kind of exactly yeah. You know, that's interesting. That's really interesting. What stiller like as a director is he? He strikes me as he's got an incredible visual flair. I mean, the the, the show looks like a Kubrick movie. But how is he? Does. How is he with uh with actors?
0: Well, yeah, as you know, Ben is an actor and Ben's, Ben's been in showbiz since he's a kid. I mean, Ben his entire life has been in showbiz. You know I mean? Uh, you know, he's the child of extremely talented parents. Yeah. Um, so Ben is, Ben understands that directors, that that, that actors, what actors need, you know, and, and you have to be careful with an actor because you can say the wrong thing and send them down the wrong road. Right. So the the best compliment that i can give any director and there's a couple of guys that i've worked with uh, ben being one of them that, that that and the other one was phil hoffman philip philip Seymour hoffman oh, okay. uh, as it was one of the greatest directors i'd ever i ever worked with is that you you always know that those guys are never going to let you look like an asshole mm. you know what i mean that's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal for an actor. You're like, this guy has my back. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's going to ask me to do things that are going to be like you're going to go to the fucking edge, but I know he's not going to let me look bad and that was like that was a big deal because in this thing, I had to do things where I didn't I didn't know what the visual effects that was going to be added in post was going to look like. Of course so i had to trust him he would be like you're gonna you're gonna go down this hallway and then and then you're gonna have pain you're gonna have pain and then and then you, what's gonna happen behind you is it's gonna move like this and, I, and i'm and i'm like there's no way I, I could fucking know i could imagine it yeah i could imagine it in my head but if i didn't trust him there was we're fucked. you know what i mean so that that's the biggest compliment that I can give Ben. He's a fucking great director and he's very clear on what he wants. He's not, there's no ambiguity, man. He's crystal clear on what he wants. And he, and, and he wants choices in the edit. You know, he wants to be able to, to do, to cut this thing, you know, uh, you know, 50 ways, like, and, and I don't mean 50 ways. Visually.
1: 50 I ways. Mean, 50 ways. Emotionally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Right, because the visual is very the you know, Jessica Lee Gagné, who shot it, who who's worked very closely with him, did Denamora with him. Oh okay. Uh is a fucking genius. Yeah. She she's like thirty one years old. Oh, fuck is she uh, she's Yeah, you was she was probably she was probably in her late 20s when she shot Dana Mora, so you know I mean? so uh, but as a photographer
1: so, are you are you are you you're probably a little extra attuned to this sort of thing are you the kind of guy who like wanders over to the monitor and goes, what does this look like? you know, what is this composition like or do you stay My
0: out- my favorite well you can't do that on you can't you can do that a little bit here, but Ben doesn't like there's no like you know, there's some directors are like, you know, like Soderbergh. Soderbergh, there's no monitors in a Soderbergh movie. Oh,
1: interesting. There's no
0: video village. The only monitor is on Soderbergh's camera, and he operates the camera. Yeah. And he doesn't want you to fucking ask him. Fair enough. Don't ask him for playback. Don't ask him how it looks. Don't fucking ask him anything. Okay. He'll tell you. Okay. He'll be like, he'll, be like, he'll shoot this, and he'll be like, put the camera down, and he's on to the next thing. That means he got it. He's not going to come over and go, hey, great job, Joe. really <laughs>
1: terrific.
0: I mean, you know. You know, that's just not going to fucking happen. Okay. It's just not, you know, and it's something, it's weird. It's weird for some actors, but once you get used to that shit, you know, okay, that's what it is. Right. So Ben is like, Ben doesn't want to show you a lot of things and you, you, you can look at it. You can look at his. He, he might go, come here. You will look at the shot. But I knew, I know the lenses cause I'm, I'm a camera nerd.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: You know, so I love cameras and I knew we were shooting in anamorphic. Right. Which is just a gorgeous super wide, you know, and I knew the lenses we were using and I know the sizes. So there's a there's a there's a dance you can do with the camera, because you know, the, the the camera and the lenses are your partners.
1: Yeah. That's a good way they're, to put it.
0: They're your partners in this. They're not your enemies. They, they they can help you depending on what you what the focal length is of these lenses. Where how close are you? Right. How far away are you? You know, is it a two shot? You know, what is it that, what is in the frame? You know, um, uh, you know, Billy Friedkin, years ago, I was like very young. I was like my, maybe my second or third job. And I, and I said to him, I go, I go, Billy, what if I do this over here? And he goes, yeah, that's great, but you're not in the frame, so you're not in the
1: movie. And I'm like,
0: oh, copy that, yeah, that's terrific, kid. But I don't know what movie you're in because you're not in this one,
1: you know. I always think it's fucking incredible. I always think it's reasonable to ask, like, you know, just where am I? Like, where do I cut off? Am I cut off like sternum? Am I like, you know, crotch? Where, where is my cut off? And can I adjust? You know, I don't necessarily have to look at the monitor, but I like to know how much of me is there. What's interesting about severance is how much negative space is used. You know, there's those four cubicles in the center of the bullpen there, but then it's wide. It's you know, meters and meters of space on all all sides. And there's also a lot of emptiness and quietude in the performances. There's a lot of moments, even, even when Pete is like in the dark night of his soul, there's still moments of, of incredible stillness. It's a very dynamic show in that regard because, because you've got these, these various levels of like incredible intensity and then incredible quiet. Um, was that something you were cognizant of while you were making it? Or did it just, when you've watched the finished product, you're like, oh, look at that. No, I mean, I, 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 it's hard to envision the finished product really
0: ultimately, you know, you, you, but you, you can see, you can see the set design, Mm -hmm. you can see the lighting you. And if you, if you've done this long enough, you get a sense of what, oh, this is what's, this is what's going on here Um, but it's again it's it's hard to um, to envision that uh, some of those shots inside inside the MDR floor uh, uh, are um, just stunning you know there's a great um, you could look I think you can find it uh, there's an interview with Jessica Lee Gagne where she talks about shooting the show you know and she she had originally um, I can, I have it. I can send it to you. Um, I'd love to. She had originally. Uh, she had originally declined the job, because she had said to Ben, "It's all walls, basically. <laughs> and how do we make walls interesting? You know, you know. How are we going to make this fucking interesting? How you know? And then it's funny. The guy doing the interview said, "Well, now." They're the most interesting walls, you know, in, 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 in cinema. You know, I, like, I'm hesitant to say
1: that the walls them. are a character, but the walls are a fucking character. I mean, yeah, you know, particularly when... No, they
0: are. The whole thing is... You know, it's,
1: the, the walls are a metaphor. They're a visual marker. There are a bunch of things going on there. They, they divide uh, what we know and what we don't. I mean, there's just, you know, the lit major in me is just obsessed with the walls.
0: <laughs> oh, the walls are... The walls, man. Just imagine the 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 symbolism of walls yeah, in our yeah. own lives and in, in 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 everything. Uh, I mean, it's and you know, I mean, it, 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 this thing with her is interesting. I think you dig watching it, man, because it's a, uh, you know, she's just very. She's very. I think I find her super compelling, and uh, I think she's uh, uh, supremely talented. You know cinematographer
1: You're um you're in Miami right now. You grew up there, right? After being born in in Havana.
0: I was born in Havana
1: and I came when i was two. Oh, when you were two okay so even earlier than than i yeah. i realized so it it kind of sounds like you your parents were i mean you're named are, are you in fact named for yule brenner is that is that true
0: i was named i was named for yule brenner my mother was infatuated with yule brenner i know it's it's very hard to be a to be a cuban kid going around with the name yule because people always thought your name was julio and i was like of course no, it's, it's Yule. <laughs> I go, oh, Yuli? I go, no, it's just fucking Yule. <laughs> Although I learned, this will be interesting. I learned later on that Yule Rinner's name, in fact, his full name was like Yuli or like Yulia or, or you know, it was, and then they sort of shortened it to Yule.
1: It, it's, um, a, it's a Russian name, right? It is a Russian name. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. It's a it's it's a Russian name. But my mother had this um it's so crazy because uh my mother had this infatuation with you Brenner. My mother was an actress. Okay. Um, and then came to this country with her with myself and my sister, I have an older sister and no husband, you know, my parents were already, they were already on the outs and, and, and so ha- didn't speak English, had to get two jobs. And then, you know, so, uh, I was named after Yul Brynner. And as I, when I was a kid, so my grandmother worked in the box office of a movie theater in Cuba for probably 25 years, uh, and the ticket, the ticket office. Um, and, um, when I was a kid, um, I didn't, I never wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, my heroes were British guitar players. Okay. My heroes were Jimmy Page and, and Clapton and Brian May from Queen sure. and Brissy Blackmore from Deep I mean, I, I wanted to be, that's what I wanted to be. And I played in bands my whole fucking life up until my life takes very sharp. Oh, we're going to, we're going to talk about
1: diving for pearls. Don't you? Don't you fret? We're getting there. No,
0: it's a, it's a, it's a, Listen, I've, I tell people I've had three lives. Um, so, but when I was a kid, my, my grandma would say to me, "You look like, um, you look like, uh, um, um, Tyrone Power." I'd be like, "Oh, I see that, grandma." I, I don't know who the fuck that is, Tyrone Power. I don't know who Tyrone Power is. Uh, so this just went on and on and on. I found out recently. This is nuts. That Tyrone Power was doing a movie and he dies. He dies just as about the movie is about to begin. He dies on set.
1: It's replaced by Yul Brynner. That's right. Oh, what is the What is the name of the film? What is the name of the film? God, uh, he dies. I forgot the name of the film. There's a a, a shot of him and George Sanders on set just before Tyrone Power has his heart attack. I know um, my father was a massive Tyrone Power fan. And so I grew up watching, you know, uh, Blood and Sand and and all that stuff. Um, Oh, what is that fucking movie called? I'll fix it for the outro. Um, But um, that's crazy. So, but it sounds like you. So isn't that crazy? That is, that is really wild. But it sounds like you've you've got this. <laughs> it sounds like you you you've you've got this very uh, unusual childhood where, like, <laughs> no child of mine is going to be a CPA. You're going to be an actor, young man. You know, it kind of sounds like there's this incredible encouragement to uh, to do a job that a lot of parents don't encourage. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I was
0: very. uh you know, my mother supported all of the artistic endeavors, from uh, buying me a drum kit when I was six years old. Oh my which god! Just, you know, no parent should ever do for a child.
1: Yeah, my my, you know, my son wants it. Lived in uh. Yeah, my son wants a drum kit, and uh, no fucking way. No, he'll he'll I'll, I'll I'll encourage his guitar playing, but I'm not going. I don't want a drummer in my house. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, do I, I? Do you do you have a big home? Uh, not big enough for a fucking drum kit, I'll tell you that right now. Um, uh... Well, we lived in an efficiency, oh, for God's which is what sake. they,
0: which is it's what they call here in Miami Beach is what's a studio, uh-huh. and it was me and my mother and my sister and my grandmother. Okay, right. So I shared a bed with my grandmother. because oh, I was I was little. My sister had her own bed, and my mother slept on a couch. And in the fucking corner, man, was my drum kit.
1: Wow, they loved you. Okay,
0: so don't let your son watch this interview because you'll be fucked.
1: No, I wouldn't dream of it. Because
0: if you have even three more feet of space, you'd get him a drum kit.
1: No. No, out of the question.
0: Listen, you can buy him an electronic kit. He can put headphones on and play. I might know, get him one of those things
1: it. with the pads. I might, I might do an electronic. Yeah, kit. Yeah, no one, no, no hit one will hear. No one will be the wiser. It'll just sound like he's in there with a FedEx box. I think great uh, Solomon and Sheba. By the way, I just looked it up um, because for anything. Oh if, wow! If you're if you're anything like me, you wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. So it's Solomon and Sheba. He was Solomon. uh Ken Vidor was uh, directing, and he he died on set. Um and yeah, it was replaced by by Yule Brenner. Um so so what were at what Wait, well I just wanted to add one more one more footnote to, to that please Yule Yul Brenner thing
0: is that Yule Yule Brenner, I also find out later on that Yule Brenner was an amazing photographer. Was he?
1: Oh interesting.
0: Yes, and his daughter, Victoria, put out these five volumes of his of his photos, and it's called Yule. Okay. It's fucking nuts.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I know about, um, you know, I know about yeah. Dennis Hopper and I know about Roddy McDowell and all the other great, you know, photographers of that era of actor. I did not know about Ewell Brunner. I got to look up his stuff. That's so... That's so cool. Anyways, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, it's just crazy. No, that's yeah, that's exactly the sort of tangent that I I welcome. Uh, and it's so interesting that you too have pursued photography, and you have pursued uh, painting, and you've pursued music. How do they all kind of feed each other? You were you had a a fairly successful career as a musician before you transitioned into acting. What what did you learn from being in a band that serves you as an actor?
0: Um that I'm not sure I, I want to be in a band again.
1: <laughs> well, there's so much heavy lifting. I mean, there's so much lifting in a band. It's <laughs> it's, it's being in a band is a listen,
0: I'm friends with guys in huge bands, mm-hmm. like bands that you know like that are like some of my best friends, you know what I mean? And uh and uh you know, we talk about the you know one of them is on two of them are on the road right now actually and they're like like and they're sometimes they're like yeah this motherfucker man like fuck him you know and
1: like <laughs> so
0: you know bands are tough you know something look I started playing guitar um because I loved guitar playing I loved I wanted to be Jimmy Page I I I loved what he was doing I loved the, I loved his musical brain. I love Brian May and these guys and I wanted to play. And I was a kid down the, grew up down the street from where I am right now. Like, you know, fucking wood shopping in his, in his bedroom, man. You know what I mean? Like, like a, eight hours and hours and hours. And then I'd go and then we were, I'd play in a cover band and then, and then I'd, and then I'd, I'd go to school and then I'd go to work. And then, so they, this was like, I didn't sleep. It was like, I just wanted to be that. And then, and then I, and then, I got in a band and then I went, I moved to New York and got in a band. I was in a band. I go to New York basically to audition for a band that was, um, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I need to add this because I think it's important. I always say that my life, a lot of my life, most of my life really, let's say all all my life is <laughs> is a a series of of excellent decisions made by very smart women. Okay. Starting with my mother's decision to leave Cuba. Okay. To not want to live under that regime and say, no, no food is not going to work. Right. No, we're going to... So taking her kids out of there, Mm -hmm. decision one by a woman, smart one, good. Then I played... Then i grew up here i played in a band i took i took this place at that time as far as you could take being in a band here there was no i hit i hit the ceiling you uh-huh. I mean I, I and then it was like where do you go and my girlfriend at that time again smart woman <laughs> knew somebody in new york at epic records epic was looking at this band called urgent mm-hmm. They were maybe going to sign this band, um, and they they were looking for a guitar player. And this this girl, uh, Gigi Freddie, is her name, uh, says, "You we're going to New York." And I go, "What? Like you understand? I'm like this Cuban kid, never left, never left. I, I we I, I lived with her, we had our own place, but I never left like." Where my mom lived,
1: right, you know what right? I mean, that was like had never been away from her you know, city. I,
0: I, right. I was the youngest in a house full of women. Mm. Just wrap your head around that for a second. <laughs> you know what I mean and and Cuban? You know what I mean it's like those those ties, man. Those ties are are deep. And like my mother was like the central figure in my in my life. So, my girlfriend goes, "You're gonna die here, Oof. like it." You know, this is it. You're going to, there's nothing else you can do here. So you're going to go to New York and you're going to audition for this fucking band. And if you fucking, she engineers this whole thing and I go. What, and what I get year is job. this?
1: This is 80. This is, uh, this
0: is, uh, uh, yeah, this is 84.
1: Okay. Okay. So you're like 19 years no, old. Maybe a little later. Okay. You're 19 huh? or 20. You're, 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 you're fairly young. There's no music scene to speak yes. of in. There's no like rock music scene to speak of in Miami at that point. It's predominantly Latin music, unless I'm mistaken.
0: Yeah, but it, it there was, <clears throat> it, it, it it was a lot of disco. There was some. There was there was a rock scene, but it was cover bands. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's no original. Rock you were yeah.
0: You could play. Yeah. No. Yeah. You can play in a cover band and play forever and play in these bars and, and, and you just want to fucking jump out of building. You know what
1: I mean,
0: <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I can't if if I tell you the people that I've played in, you know, and that's a circuit we do, and that circuit would take you out to Alabama and Georgia and you come back down. That's how you earned the living as a cover band here, right, man. Right. You know, I played in some of the most fucking redneck bars you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like Literally, where motherfuckers are throwing shit at you, you know, chicken like, wire, not, like straight out of the, yeah, exactly, straight. I played a barn homestead that had the chicken wire.
1: Hilarious! I love it. Okay, I love it. It was a
0: biker barn homestead, Florida. Yeah.
1: Our, our, our younger, the you homestead, our, Florida. Our, our, our younger listeners, uh, we are referencing a wonderful scene in the Blues Brothers um, uh, that apparently you all, uh, lived through. <laughs> Correct. All right. So you, well, so you go up to New York to audition yeah. for Urgent. I got the job. Nice,
0: uh, and then um, now I'm in New York. I'm living. I live in New York now, you know, yeah. because we moved to New York. And uh, urgent winds up not getting signed to Epic, but uh, to EMI Manhattan Records, EMI, Great. and we make two records. Um, we make the first record, and it it tanked. Beautifully, um, <laughs> and then we were getting ready to make the second record, and because of my relationship with the singer in Judas Priest um, and and Glenn Tipton, the guitar player in Judas Priest, I knew I knew a man called Tom Allum, who had produced all the Judas Priest records and Def Leppard. Yeah, and they're able to make a deal, and we and we do the second record with Tom Allen, which was the greatest experience I've ever had making a record because making the first, the first urgent record was a fucking nightmare. Nice. And it was, it's sad to say that it's sad to say that because you wait, you wait, your your whole life to make your first record to get a deal. It's like you you're like a you're like a kid guitar player like when I get that deal, yeah. ma, you know. And I got and there's the deal, and it was produced by um, Mick Ronson. May he rest in peace. That should, that should have been and and Ian Hunter. Okay. Unfortunately, you know. That tanks as well.
1: I, I found a video for um, uh, diving for pearls.
0: Diving for pearls is another band. Again, I you know how how I arrive at diving for pearls is another story. But again, a band that that uh, wanted to kind of do the same thing. They were sort of very kind of polished. The the band already existed. It was Danny Malone and Jack Moran, and then they had two other guys that. This woman, Gigi Freddy, the woman who-
1: The girlfriend- Got me the audition right, yes. for
0: the first, ur- right? Who at this time we were no longer together, but we were friends. She finds, cause this, she had a fucking vision man that was crazy. She finds Diving for Pearls and says to them, you two guys are great. We got, I gotta put everything, all different people around you. And calls me and goes, you got to come see these guys; they're great songwriters. And I was like, "Yeah, the songs are good." You know what I mean? Um, and then that's how. And then she gets diving for pearls. The deal. She begins to shop that band around. That band gets signed. We basically get signed out of the China Club in New York City, which. Oh, I remember the, the time China was, Club. Yeah,
1: where was that?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Where was the China That was club? on
0: that was on Broadway in like in the 70s.
1: Yes, the that's right because it was it wasn't anywhere you'd expect to find a rock was something like the Beacon Theater.
0: It was by the Beacon and you went downstairs. Yes, got it. Yeah, it was like it was that place was you know, that was like if you were going to play anywhere in New York, that's where you wanted to play, you know. Yeah. And and so we would pack that place and it was like we became this like sort of hot band in New York and that's how we got signed out of there. But again, nothing. Not stuff that was terribly interesting for me to play.
1: Let's let's transition then, <laughs> because you make an interesting transition here from music to acting, and uh, by by. Working in a musically centered film the Mambo Kings where you're you're part of the the band I just watched it last night amazing cast. Oh my god. That cast is Insane, I mean Vondi Curtis Hall is in there and and and, uh, Roscoe Lee Brown and then all and I'm like I I was staring at the screen. It's like is that is that JT Taylor from cool in the gang and it is uh, playing Celia Cruz's godson. It's bonkers so, did you? It is bonkers. Yeah, that cast is is phenomenal. Um, did you by the way, did you shoot that in? That's that's L.A. playing New York, right? Most of it. We shot it in L.A. Yeah, because there's a couple shots where, like, yeah. the, the establishing shot is Central Park, and then the close-up. like, that's Griffith Park. Don't bullshit a bullshitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's that, that that's Griffith Park. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that that how does that come across? How does that no, come to ahead. you? So,
0: so. Again, uh, so the lead singer in Diving for Pearls, uh, girlfriend at the time, um, and I used to talk about because <clears throat> uh, you know I because I loved acting and I would I loved movies and I would watch movies. You know I I, I had respect for actors. I, I was, you know because again my grandmother and my mother yeah, this yeah. and that. But so she says to me, hey, you know, uh, Oliver Stone is uh doing a movie about the doors um and she, so she worked at an agency called the lucy Kroll agency which is a very very old very uh new york theater actor agency they represented a lot of the sort of the the royalty of broadway these you know they had uh, james earl jones and you know these sort of iconic actors you know and um and Lucy crawl herself was about 90 something years old mm. and didn't really run the agency, but there was a woman there, a woman again.
1: Very smart woman.
0: A woman with a a woman with a with a fucking plan called Holly Levitt. She looks at me and she goes, it's amazing. She goes, listen, I, I don't know if you can act, but uh you're kind of interesting. And <laughs> um and uh and uh, and, uh I would be your agent, but, but you would have to study acting. Like I would have to, you'd have to study acting and you'd have to really, if you're really going to do this seriously. And I was like, so diving for pearls had just, we'd just gotten dropped by Epic. Okay. Another record that tanked. Sure. Tanked wonderfully. Um, (laughs) Again. They were supposed to tank, John. They were supposed to tank. I was tank. not supposed to be there. They were
1: supposed to tank. This I was, was not supp- this was be yeah. yeah. By all means, yeah.
0: Um, so I go. Uh, Holly says, "Meet with these teachers." I meet with a teacher called Bill Esper. Oh yeah, of
1: course, William Esper Studios. Yeah,
0: exactly. I start to study with, and um, he begins to change my life. Begins to change my way of thinking, the way I feel. Um. All, so I go, I go on the audition for the Doors movie. I, I don't, I don't get that.
1: Were you, were you going for Robbie Krieger? Still,
0: I don't know. I, I don't even, I don't even know what I, I don't even remember. Okay. It was like general sides, you know, it's like they would just give you sides from whatever. And they were like, you know, they were like mixing and matching. Sure, it was like sure. thirty one flavors. I mean yeah, of course. probably I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, um I'm I'm a spitting image of Robbie Krieger. Um horrible. By the way, did you watch him uh God bless him? Did you watch him playing the national anthem?
1: No. Like recently? No, I didn't. On slide guitar. Oh no. It's don't don't it, it's painful. Is it gonna bum me out? It's It'll it'll make you weak. All right, I don't want bad. What it'll do. No, I'm just barely um, hanging on as is now. But uh, okay.
0: yeah, mad respect for him. But uh yeah. No, so I go, I don't, so I don't get that job. So I'm in the acting class and I'm going along and like, you know, and uh and the guys in the band literally come to me and go, you know, we don't we don't dig that you're doing this acting class thing and like you know, you're either you know, we're trying to get another deal mm. and you're either in the band or you're not in the band, and what are you gonna do? So they basically gave me this ultimatum, you know, and I go I go to Bill Esper and I say, hey, man, you know, the, the, these guys are basically saying like, are you, you know, and he, Bill looks at me and goes, hey, man, you know, I can't tell you what to do. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me if I think that you have talent as an actor, the answer is yes. But you have to make your own decisions. So I literally go back and I quit the band that fucking night. Wow. And uh, which, was, which was very strange. So, so I, I was in a cab on 8th Avenue going home and I realized... And I thought, what have I done? What have I fucking done? I've been, my whole life has been a, a guitar player. You know what I mean? So now I'm in this acting class and I get my first job. Literally a few months later, I get my first job. So what happens is I start auditioning for this movie called The Mambo Kings. And literally, and it So I went in a crate, long hair, I had it in a ponytail and you know, I slicked it back, it's just whatever. I, I start reading for this movie, and I read like six times. I read for like, I even wound up reading for Antonio Banderas' part. I start reading like for a tiny part, and then I read for another part, and then I and I wind up reading for Antonio Banderas' part. And then I get a phone call that Arnie glimpscher the guy who directed the movie, Great. wants to have a meeting with me. Great. So I go see Arnie. Arnie, I don't know if, do you know Pace Gallery? Pace Wildenstein Gallery? Yeah. Big, very... That's Arnie. Arnie owns Pace Gallery. Oh, okay. I don't think I
1: realized that. All right.
0: Right. Yeah, Arnie's an art dealer. You know, he does his whole life. Uh, I mean, not just an art dealer, one of the most prestigious art dealers in the world.
1: That's really interesting because I was struck by the use of color in Mambo Kings and and how visually it looks, it takes place in the 50s, but also kind of looks like the sort of film that was shot in the 50s. It looks like a Technicolor Douglas Cirque melodrama. Yeah, it's saturated. It's very yes. saturated. Yeah, it looks amazing. So it makes sense that the the guy would have his his foot in the in the visual arts world. Go on, sorry.
0: Again, the 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 man who shot the Mambo Kings is a man was a man passed away called Michael Ballhaus. Oh, sure, of course. Who, who's you know, shot Goodfellas? I mean, yeah, legendary great, cinematographer.
1: Great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I so I go to Pace to meet Arnie. It was all the auditions were at. Pace Gallery on 57th Street. Oh, wow. um, and the casting director was Billy Hopkins, who again uh, is a guy who gives me three amazing jobs. Like he basically started my career. You know, I have I owe a great debt to Billy, people like Billy Hopkins and Risa Braman and and you know A.V. Kaufman. This yeah. is people that are insanely, insanely kind to me, you know. Um so Arnie says, hey, man, uh, look, I really like you. I'm going to cast this guy from Spain called Antonio Banderas. He's a big star in Spain. But I really I really fucking like you. And I want you in the movie. Um, I don't have a part for you, but I want you in the movie. So we're going to make up a part for you. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we're just, you and I, we're going to create a part because you, you I want you in the film and that was the, that's the story that's how I, that's how I got my first job and the next thing I know I'm on my way to Los Angeles where they go cut all my hair off. yeah because it's 1952 yeah and
1: haven't been in a band since John Wow what what's interesting about the movie is that you are it's a movie about two musicians from Cuba and you might be one of the only Cubans in the film. Was that, were you cognizant of that? Were you the resident Cuba expert? Were you, did it kind of annoy you? It's. I mean, I'm not trying to start shit where there doesn't have to be shit, but was there a part of you yeah. that was like, uh- we couldn't find more Cubans to be in this movie? You know, there's a couple of other Cuban guys that are real salsa,
0: real salsa musician guys guys, um, that are in the movie. Uh, To be honest with you, I was so happy to have a job. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. I mean, I didn't. Now, this is going to really blow your fucking mind. Hit me. We did a reading of the movie. We did a reading of the movie at Pace with Kevin Klein in the Armando Sante.
1: Oh wow. Oh, that's a choice. That's okay. Um, huh. Armando Sante who it should I don't, okay. Hmm. How did that go? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was good. I don't know that. I think
0: Kevin was maybe testing the waters. I didn't yeah. I didn't um, you know, and then and then it, it, having conversations with 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 Arnie, uh he confided in me that uh Jeremy Irons had wanted the part and had done a
1: done a screen test for it. See, it's it's and wow. Okay, interesting. It's it's it
0: was a different time, my
1: friend. No, I know it was you a know? different time. I recognize that. And our, you see, Armando Sante is interesting because he was of that era he was probably the most ethnically ambiguous actor he would go back and forth like hi you're mike hammer and next week you're a puerto rican drug lord and that was like <laughs> that was his career for that that yeah. that golden era of Romano asante and then he's french in private benjamin you know he's just all over the place correct he's like the oscar isaac of his time like anyone with dark hair he can play him go um and that's obviously amazing. none yeah. of that stuff would happen now, for better or for worse. Um, but it's, that's so wild that they would go so far as to be like, you know, actually for our Cuban band leader, I like Jeremy Irons. That's my, that's my guy. <laughs> the fact that that was even a discussion. Well, I think,
0: you know, it's, no, I think Jeremy Irons pursued it. Really? I think he pursued it because I think he, well, you have to understand it's Jeremy Irons. who doesn't, he doesn't screen test for anything.
1: Right, interesting.
0: Jeremy Irons, he was he he was already Jeremy Irons. He was like, he's and I think he got an made Oscar by test. then.
1: By then, he's got an Oscar for *Reversal Yo, of yeah. Fortune*. Yeah, he right. had an
0: Oscar for for uh, playing Klaus von. Uh, uh, Bülow. Yeah. Oh. Right. So he, I think he wanted it. I think he, I think he felt, and I don't blame him for this. He was like, "It's an amazing role. This is another side of me they've never. The the world doesn't think I have. Yeah, you know sure. I, mean? I want to do this." And then I think Arnie said to me, "I think for five minutes, De Niro was in the part."
1: Oh wow!
0: I think Arnie said that. It's a very long time ago, so my memory could be completely fucked. No, up. No, I but, see that um, too.
1: You know that makes a, that makes a certain amount of sense too. I mean, you need someone who's who's got this incredible authority and stage presence. That's what's cool about the Mambo Kings is that sometimes you see movies about bands and you see the band perform, and you're like, eh, that's all right. The Mambo Kings are just a great live act. You know, the concert footage in that yeah. movie is really dynamic mm-hmm. and fun. You're like, God, that'd be a great night out. I would love to see this band. Yeah. You know, and that isn't always the case for movies about fictional bands. Did you guys no. rehearse as a band? We we we
0: rehearse as a band. I obviously am not a horn player. Right, right. But I we had lessons and I sort of I, we had we wore these earwigs. You know what I mean, yeah, and we would sync to these earwigs. Okay, I you mean, know? so, um, you know, the tracks were the tracks. You know, we had to, we had to stick to a certain track because they had to, and they were lip syncing, to you know, they did record, I think, the singing, mm-hmm. um, and then they they were lip syncing to it, but, so okay. we, we were all syncing to a track, but but the timbali player in that band the 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 bass player all those guys they play for real yeah they play for real man yeah
1: you know for real yeah they were the real fucking deal it's it's a really um it's a fun slice of life uh of, of that era of the new york music scene it's a, it, it's really a, I, I was gonna watch it just for your scenes and then ended up watching the whole thing i i really enjoyed it well there's i don't have much i
0: don't have a lot to do in the to do in the movie but you know but the 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 the, the movie you're in comes it so much Arnie though Glim-
1: i mean you don't you don't talk a lot but you're in it so much and you're you know they always say listening is the hardest part of acting you know you're invested yeah. in in so many of your scenes watching the brothers break down at each other that you know you're you're yeah. you're a crucial part of that film
0: Well, thank you for saying that. I haven't watched the film in, I can't, I don't even know how, how, how long it's been. Um, What I, what I, what I, I I was going to say to you is that the, the film really, the genesis of, of, of the film is really from a, from a very honest place because, because Arnie is a, he's a real, real lover and aficionado of Mambo. Yeah. and, would go to the Palladium and dance at the Palladium. And when the book comes out, Arnie
1: loves the book. This is the Oscar so Huelo's book, upon which the right, film is based, right? Right, that he
0: buys the rights. Wow, okay. Then the book wins the Pulitzer, right. which then becomes another. So Arnie had never directed a film. You know, it's a very interesting situation. He never directed a movie, um, but he, uh, th- through tenacity, you know, and desire, and and power, you know, that he had the
1: ability, gets the fucking movie made, which is incredible to me. That is incredible. The as long as we're we're, I'm going to ask about a role that is somewhat mired in controversy through no fault of your own but it's one of your rare comedic roles so I really want to discuss it uh, I'm talking about your your work on Seinfeld <laughs> um, yeah. and I mean there's there's it's a it's a recurring role as 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 Bob um uh, on that show there's one episode that just is been locked away in that can't be shown anymore um uh what was that? experience like for you you know um
0: in 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 what sense how do i arrive there how do you or well how, how do you arrive of- there
1: for one thing how do you arrive there with um because it's a very specific pitch that seinfeld was at in terms of the performances on that show and um yeah yes it's a multicam, but it's sort of a, a, a it's a it's there's a very specific style to to what worked on that show. Everyone because because Seinfeld is such a and he'll be the first to tell you is such a one note actor. He had to surround himself by these genuine clowns, you know, these people with like deep stage yeah. work behind them. So it's it, it, it's un it's it's not like Friends. It's not like Cheers where everyone's kind of grounded. There's a certain like higher pitch to the acting on Seinfeld.
0: There's there's a you're right. You're absolutely right. There's a and it's a particular style that it's hard to explain, yeah. but it but it is. It's a it's a certain rhythm you gotta go into. Um the the character's name is Bob the intimidating gay guy. I
1: did so not realize that was the full name. Woman, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. the Holly Lebed, the woman mm-hmm. I referenced earlier, uh um, I was in LA, and she says I have a last minute audition for you for Seinfeld. I I don't think I'd done a sitcom and I didn't really It's weird. I never envisioned myself doing a sitcom. All right. Uh So I I she goes you have to go to CBS Radford. Um you know like back then you'd like you literally would go. You you get the sides right there. They get, maybe they, they maybe they just wrote the character, you know, yeah. like those things would like, they write them like, and then, Oh, that works tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like yeah. crazy shit like but that. But you're not
1: going to get a PDF because so you don't there. have email. So it's just, com- you know, it's completely flat. You're basically doing there a cold no read. PDF, right?
0: Yeah. PDF, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we go, I go, so I go to, to Radford and I get the size and I go, I look at this thing and I go, what the fuck am I going to do with this thing? And I have this idea to do an imitation of my mother. Ah. My mother's a very, very intense Cuban woman who was very in your face. You know what I mean? And my mother was very, very, there was one law in my house, no, no negotiation. And that was my mother. Yeah. So I go, I'm just going to fucking do that. So I go in the room and Jerry and Larry, David are in the room and the casting director. And, um, I go in the room and I do, and I do that, what you saw. And, and, and I, and then I stop and they look at me and they're like, what was that? And I go, it's an of my mom. He's like, can you do it again? I go, yeah. So, so I did it again. Then they gave me a couple of notes. And they're like, okay, great. Wait outside. You know, it's one of those things sometimes it would make the actors wait outside. It's, just, it, it's usually good news. It was such a, what, what? Except all the actors are waiting. Oh, I see. Hmm, okay. yeah, you, have, you may have four or five guys there. Ah. You have four or five guys there. And then, and then they're like, come back in again. And it's really fucking, it's a it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Horrible.
1: It's, it's humiliating. It's really nerve-wracking, yeah.
0: It's humiliating. And then they'll be like, yeah, Timmy and Henry, you guys can go. So-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, you stay. And then those guys keep going back in again. <laughs> and you keep going back in like a, like a it's fucking horrible. John- it's fucking horrible. I did, I, I if am I ever directed anything, I would never do that to an actor. You know, I would never do that to an actor. No. You know, I have these fantasies of like one day if I direct something, which I don't know that I want to direct anything because I hate people asking me questions, and that's all directors get—yeah, fucking questions. Yeah, the buck I mean, stops with you. Every
1: buck might... stops with you when you're directing. Sounds awful.
0: And and the weight of the budget <laughs> is on you. You know, so so. They they hire me. They 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 hire me, and I go, and they're like, "This you start basically you start working daft tomorrow or tomorrow or some shit." I don't even remember it. I go, oh, "Okay," so I go and and it's the first episode. It's the uh, it's the Armour. Yeah. It's the Soup Nazi. Yeah. And I find so I I meet the guy who plays my boyfriend, the late great who, John Paragon. Do You know who that? That's it. Yeah. That blew my mind. That was almost the coolest thing about the whole thing because I was such a fan of that guy and I was such a fan of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. And I go, Fucking hell, you're John B the fucking genie. Yeah. Mecca Lecah, Mecca yeah, Dude. Dude. Yeah. That's all I wanted to talk to him about was like and he he told me so many stories of Paul and how Paul came up with the character and then well, all Paragon the groundlings Paragon and Paul did,
1: Rubens you know, came the, up with the groundlings together. In that class that included like, uh, Cassandra Peterson. Yeah, sure. Sure. That whole crowd. Um, he told me about
0: Elvira sort of appearing, how she, you know, how they, they would bring in these things, pieces of it, and then they would put it together and then it became what those things became, but it was, it was kind of crazy. But so, you know, we did it, we did the first one. And then, um, one of the funniest things is watching Larry David, uh, give me notes as as Bob the intimidating gay guy. So imagine Larry David going, can you do it like this? Oh, you know? no. oh wow. <laughs> amazing. Oh wow. Yeah. It was, actually, <laughs> it was kind of incredible. So then we do then we then we, I do one more. Then we do the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode, which was the one that really kind of, you know, uh he throws the sparkler, the sparkler lights the Puerto Rican flag on fire. Yeah. And then he's putting it out. He's stomping on it. And uh. then uh, it became a whole thing. And then Jerry apologized, which, you know, uh, to be honest, I didn't think he should have apologized. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you can, because uh, it wasn't done in that way. Right. I know the way that, I know the way that was meant, and I, I and I, and I think when you begin to apologize for comedy, we're we're so fucked.
1: Well, the you know the you know, the, the the flag thing is maybe a, you know that's maybe another podcast. What what is interesting to me as a New Yorker was. I won, those were so many of my neighbors was incredibly young, hot guy, slightly older guy who was caretaker boyfriend, like that trope is a trope for a reason. I grew up in Midtown Manhattan, there were a gazillion, yeah. that's those are my mom's friends, those are, you know, my mom's yeah. co-workers in publishing, those are the guys on my block. And it was such and yet I had never what Seinfeld did so well was it showed you the parts of New York that everyone knew about, but had never been caught on film.
0: That's right, man. That's right. And 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 no one was spared on Seinfeld from from a jab.
1: No. And, I mean, and that's the thing no is one. that it was it was it wasn't it never really felt to punch downy it was just punch everywhere you know everyone was getting punched at one point or another and it's going to sound got it's going to sound like i'm making excuses and I, I recognize that but i i feel like there was such a uh, a genuine gleeful need to offend everybody on that show that i i think is one of the reasons it's still in uh it's still in the canon as um as such a fun oh, yeah. show yeah I
0: think if I'm not, and I don't, I could be wrong. I think that episode is now available.
1: Oh, is it now? It was like the second to last. It's like the second to last episode ever of the series. It is. It is the second second to last. last. Holy shit! Yeah. Wow.
0: Because I was on hold for the last episode, and then they wound up not using the character, but it was the second to last episode. Wow. It was absolutely the second to last episode. In fact, I have a script that I have in a box. Sign from Jerry and Michael Richards. Like, I, mean, I think Jerry wrote to the greatest Seinfeld villain ever. Oh, that's like, wonderful. You. You know, like, wow. Yeah,
1: wow. Yeah, it's, it's, Wayne Knight well, better not hear became... about that. <laughs> Fucking Newman better not get wind of that shit. <laughs> we might have to cut that out. Whoa. Yikes. Uh, uh, um, now no, it, you know, we got it, political disadvantage <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, The character, uh, I think Rolling Stone did. Top 50 uh, Seinfeld uh, characters ever. And I think I'm like number 12 or some shit. Nice. It became like. Nice.
1: uh, Nice.
0: It became, you know, it it just sort of took off. I don't, it was just, I had no idea. You know, I had never watched Seinfeld.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting. I didn't,
0: yeah, I didn't know anything about it.
1: Um, you've mentioned uh, you're talking about like acting with John Paragon, and you've talked about a couple of it. Who are some other actors you you liked as you were you were coming up? You were obviously watching a ton of movies and and TV as a as a kid. Who were some actors, not necessarily big stars, but people sort of in the corner of the screen that were like, oh, that's that's who's that guy? I want to know more about him. Who who were some guys like that? Uh, there was. There- the one that comes most to to
0: to to mind, and and um, I remember working with Chris Walken, was uh, was wild and and um, incredibly uh, exciting. Maybe the, the the most generous actor I've ever experienced off camera. You know, like giving off camera, which you always want to give more, so so your fellow actor has something. More things to react to, you right. know. I mean, because by the time maybe they've they've turned around on him, it's you've done it 80 times and it's gone fucking, you know, you gotta give him something else. Right, right. So he's incredible. But there's a guy, <clears throat> there's a guy, I, I got a job, and this is later on, this is probably about 10, 10 years ago, <clears throat> uh, that I had admired so, so much that I, I thought I was one of the, one of our great, great actors. So I, I got a job on a show called Treme to play David Morse's partner.
1: Oh, wow. Um. Yeah.
0: And I was like, I literally was like, they're like, yeah. You, and I was like, I literally just said yes. I didn't know all that. When I heard, yeah, it's David Morse's partner. I'm like, yes, yes. And so I go to New Orleans and maybe my first day and I'm a little nervous. Uh, cause I'm, I'm in awe of David Morse, you know? Um, and in fact, I think any actor, any actor who isn't is dead.
1: I'm a fan <laughs> from, uh, uh, from St. Elsewhere. I go back to St. Elsewhere with that guy. I, I love his work. He's incredible. Dancer in the dark. He's fucking incredible. Yeah, He's great.
0: Oh, dude. Ridiculous. So my first day I go, I got to like fucking like, you know, I I have to work with him now for like, six, seven episodes and I have to be, you know, so the first day I they go, you all, this is David Morrison. He's very, you know, he's super, he's very friendly, but he has this exterior of like, he puts his hand and he goes, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. And I shook his hand. And I go, Hey man, can I talk to you a second? And he goes, yeah. He goes, hey, I just want to tell you this, man. Um, uh, like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours and I think you're one of our greatest actors and, uh, uh, there's there's a couple of people who, who have careers that, the careers that I dream of having and, and you're one of those guys and I just I just need to tell you for me this is an unbelievable thrill and I'm just going to tell you this now and I'm not going to say it again uh, but I need to just say it because mm. uh, I need to just get it out and he looks at me he goes well thank you thank you for saying that you and uh, that was it. Yeah. and we carried on and him and I are like we're good buds nice and um he he's uh that was a, that was a big thrill to work with that cat man
1: well he that can he is... does this thing where he he has a quietude to his performances that that he uses to great effect when he's doing something funny and he has done some comedy. He's also played some horrifically menacing characters. He's on Broadway right now Mm -hmm. playing a sex offender as we speak, um, in the revival of how I learned to drive. Um, but were you drawn to like the, the, I mean, that's a guy who, who always acts like the frame is really tight. You know, he's just got a real subtlety to him. No matter what he's doing, what-
0: it's it's very, it's very restrained work, and I think that's that's the work that thrills me. That's it's 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 the work that Montgomery Cliff did, mm-hmm. who's probably my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. Like histrionics, gilding the lily is nothing that fucking interests me. I I want to take away as much as as much as I can, and have a director say, put some back in, or, right. or take away more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, yeah. but You know, even on stage, you can be insanely still Mm -hmm. and be insanely powerful. You know, I've experienced it. I know it. It's possible.
1: Well, I think you get some of that instinct from music. I think your work as not just a guitarist, but a drummer probably makes you a little more tuned to the power of silence. You think that's fair to say?
0: Yeah, I think... I th- I think it is fair to say absolutely because it's about you know in music it's about some uh, more than what you play it's what you don't play right right you know what I mean it's what notes do you leave out mm-hmm. you know what I mean um, and I think my my comedy I don't know I, it's funny because people don't really sort of know me for comedy but but I've done a lot mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know like motherfucker with the hat which I did on Broadway right. is a comedy yeah um, it's a dark
1: one but it know, is a comedy yeah
0: it's a dark it's a dark one it is a dark yeah you're right but but uh um i think being a drummer helps you you understand time Mm -hmm. and you understand rhythm yeah you know i remember finding out that peter sellers another one of my idols
1: was a jazz drummer oh that makes a ton of sense
0: crazy right
1: his parents had a vaudeville act oh wow and he was like a kid drummer and he's like a jazz drummer. It would have been actually like a, more of a music hall act in Britain, I imagine. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, there's a certain like there's a sense of like playing along and knowing when to come in and when to come out. And as as much as he's known for his broad characterizations, there's a great deal of subtlety in his broad character. You look at the president in, in Doctor Strangelove. You know, who is, you know, the most Or look at being there. Or being there, yeah, by all means. These are these being are there is understated. Is understated performances. Speaking of understated performances, um, Russian dolls coming back, and um what's interesting, it's sort of a you're shooting it around the same time as you're shooting um Severance, but the guy in No, I'm not in Russian doll. You're not in the second one? You're not in the second season? I'm not in the second season of Russian doll no my I had one it was a one season deal. What's interesting about about Russian doll this is actually a thing that goes through a lot of your career is you've got this tendency to get jobs that that reflect something going on in the zeitgeist right now. you know we're we're starting to talk more about. The idea of alternate universes, and that's becoming a little more of a mainstream idea outside of scientific circles because of the Marvel universe, but also because of stuff like Russian doll. Um, uh, you know, people start to question the drug war, and then you book narcos and and we start to you know, what are the roots of this <laughs> thing? You know, what are you know, was this all worth the money and the violence? But Russian doll is interesting because you're you're kind of a lawn for the ride. How did you how do you shoot that show? Just practically, do you shoot all your stuff in a row? Um, do you kind of come back and, no, you just, you do it as you, episode by episode.
0: Yeah, you do it, you know, you do it, yeah. You do it episode by episode and you have to, uh, you have to really uh, track it and you have to have a great script supervisor yes. who knows who knows where you are and then who knows that you got to go back from here and then this is the reverse of that. And, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was, I remember, I remember reading it and going like, I thought it was amazing. I was like, this they sent me the first two episodes of season one. I was like, fuck, this is so good. You know I mean? This is so good. I, I think season two goes in another direction because I, I don't, I, I I don't know I don't know anything about season two okay um so so i don't i i I don't want to pretend to know anything of that but I thought I'd heard that it would it went into another way because I don't know I don't know how much of that uh sort of groundshog day thing you can
1: sustain you,
0: you can do Right. You know I mean yeah you know,
1: but for the part that you did work on there is a there's a part you kind of seem like her north star to a certain extent. Like you're the ex, but you're you're a constant in her life. You're a sort of calming influence in your life. Was that something you talked about with Natasha, and 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 the directors, or did it just kind of come very naturally to you, where you were going to be just sort of like the her port in a storm? I think it's I think it's
0: I think it's written. It's written in. It's like it's like the port in the storm that she. She constantly pushes away and, mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, really. Uh, sometimes it's not very, very nice to him. Right. You know I mean? right. Um, and he keeps coming back for more. <laughs>
1: you
0: know I, mean? I used to say. I used to ask, why does he? Co- why does he keep coming back? Does he just love punishment? <laughs> you know, like, he's so in love with her. I'm like, okay, okay, you know. Um, the thing about that is, she's so, you know. Uh, uh, I've known her a long time and she's a, she's a friend and yeah, she's a friend and wanted me to do this. And I got to, you know, it was interesting for me to play something I don't get to play a a, a lot is uh, the romantic lead, the guy who kisses the girl. Yeah, I mean, and it's, uh, you know, um, and I'm starting to take them personally.
1: I gotta be honest with you. Well, I I, mean, to you want to get into this conversation, we're gonna be here all day, man. (laughs) Good Lord. I I can't tell you how many times... I have literally been in, like, the montages of, uh, like, the, the horrible date montage that you see in, in, in movies sometimes of like, Oh, this is how hard it is to be a single woman. You got these losers lining up for you. That's me. I have done those montages. It's uh uh, so, so cry me a river. You'll be okay. Um, (laughs) you get there when you get there, um, to get there in your fifties though, is fantastic. How cool is that? No, it's very good. It's, it's, it's it's, very good. And then,
0: and then in promised land, I got to, you know, it's funny. My, I, my hair during the pandemic uh I, I was not working obviously so uh there was no dye in it so it 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 this is my natural hair color and then when stiller sees it he goes hey man i really like your hair like that of course i look just like him you could literally like there's a picture of, of him of him and of him directing me i'm like i go twins that's amazing. separated at birth i mean that's
1: amazing yeah you guys do um, yeah you guys he's are okay like, hey, can yeah. we
0: yeah, we have literally the same fucking haircut and the <laughs> hair color now. But he said, hey, can we keep your hair like that? And I go, yeah, it's super easy. So he really liked it. And then uh, I for for Promised Land, which again, I get to kiss the girl. Fantastic. I, it, it, it's funny. It, it, it's come later in life when I get, I get to kiss the girl. Um,
1: Tell me a little bit more about uh, Promised Land. Uh,
0: Promised Land is a, it's, it's on Hulu. Um, it's... it's uh, we'll see what happens with it if it gets on the season it's a it, it's a family drama um and it's it's about uh um it's about an immigrant family who comes in and and makes an amazing life a uh, very wealthy life for themselves and there's two brothers and the brothers have a falling out and you know there's a lot of other um complicated uh family dynamics uh but uh I I I enjoyed doing it I enjoyed Matt Lopez the creator of the show who's, uh, just a lovely guy and um and John uh uh Ortiz who uh is uh, plays a patriarch and I have known each other for 30 years and we play brothers in this Are you and,
1: you um, mentioned I'm sorry you mentioned motherfucker hat you mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman were you a labyrinth guy I'm one of the fa- founding members of Labyrinth I apologize for not knowing that um, no, I, no, I, worries, I, no worries, man. No
0: worries. I'm no longer. It's a little. I'm. I'm no longer a lot. That's another podcast.
1: Okay. But when <laughs> Phil
0: died, a lot of things went on there that I didn't agree with. Okay. So the labyrinth uh, is was, this amazing uh,
1: uh, uh, theater company based out of New York that was founded by by Yule and by Philip Seymour Hoffman and a lot of amazing well, playwrights. Was, yeah. Um, we have, a, then we have a, even more, we have a ton of friends in common, dude. We have Ana Ortiz in common. We have, uh, Jason Manuel Lozabal in common. I
0: love, I love, I, I love Jason. Jason's the I man. Bad Boys too. That's where, first time I met him.
1: I just saw Jason do Anna in the Tropics at a theater here in Altadena, um, playing the Lector. Um, he's phenomenal.
0: That's right. That's what he said. He yeah. said he was doing that. Yeah.
1: He's a great
0: guy, man. He's
1: a terrific actor. I love that guy. Oh, that's so cool. Great
0: actor, great guy, so, so, and a good, good uh, a good human, which yeah, not always the case. Not always
1: the case. No, it's absolutely true. He's my neighbor, and our kids are friends. And um, uh, and I know Jason's been involved with the lab for for 20-plus years. And uh, so it's always fun when when that connection uh, comes up. Um, Yule, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, uh, your website is yulevasquez.com? which is predominantly your visual work.
0: It is, it's only my visual work. There's nothing about acting on there. I don't have a website for acting. It is. If you don't know I'm an actor and you go to that site, you'd be like, Who's, who the fuck is Who's this, this
1: great painter and photographer? He, he, he. <laughs>
0: that's, that's very kind of you.
1: Uh, no, I'm actually, it, it's really, it's very stunning work. We're in an audio medium here, but it's, it's really striking work. And we talked about your, uh, your, your, um, You you cited Basquiat and Cy Twombly as as people you've admired. What has painting taught you? What has painting and photography taught you about acting?
0: You know, um, to to be in tune with with to be present. Really, that's to me that's the whole key to all of it to life. Even you mean, uh, you know, I I can I can. I can go to work and and be across from an actor and I can tell that they've already decided how they were gonna do this mm. three weeks ago. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, you're not in the room with all of us like this.
1: You're just running lines in your bedroom, dude. This,
0: <laughs> this is all part of, this is all, this is all this table. This is all part of the gestalt, man. Yeah. This is all of, this is all connected. You're not breathing this air you're rehearsed this in the mirror and 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 I can and I'm and I realize now it's funny because you can just tell right away so <clears throat> a photograph you know and the, the work I do is I I start walking down the street with and I work with very fast cameras sometimes I work with bigger cameras but that's that's a slower thing I'm doing somebody's portrait on the street or something but I'm usually walking and, and taking the pictures so I'm just completely in tune with what's fucking going on. What what spirits are coming, man, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know? And and with a painting, painting is the same thing. I'm just like, I stand in front of the thing, I'm like, where are we? Let's go, let's, what's here? Start making marks, and then you, you know. And the thing about those two things is that there is no director or writer or editor in the way. Mm-hmm. It's literally the materials and my brain and that's it, man. You know I mean, there's no no one, there's no one telling me, don't do that, you know?
1: There's, so- There's no monitor to look it's at. Incredibly you're just, it's incredibly honest. Yeah, it's honest. And there's an, there's an autonomy that you don't always get as an actor.
0: And rare, but by the time the people watch what we did, it's gone through so many hands. Yeah. So many people have picked at it. And if you're lucky and you get to work with the right people, then the right people picked him. You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> and you're like,
0: then you trust people that are, they're like, yeah, I trust this guy because this guy. You just trust somebody, and there's some, pe- there's some people you go to, some directors you go to work with, and you're like, we're fucking doomed. You, know? <laughs> 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 like, you, you just know you, you know, like you, you go ask a guy a question, and 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 they don't have an answer. Like their, eye, their eyes glaze over, and I'm like, copy that. Um, You know, Bill Esper used to say, now wrap your head around this. Bill Esper used to say, if I do one thing in this class is to make you director-proof.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So when you meet somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, they won't sink you.
1: That is a... uh... So you can float.
0: (laughs) No one can fuck you up.
1: No one can fuck you up and your ass is always covered. That is gorgeous. Yeah,
0: because you, you have guys asking you to do things. Where you where you are like, this was, this this is. I'm not gonna put this in your hands because I know what I know what you'll do with this. So no, I'm not gonna do that for you. Yeah.
1: You know? Um, let's end there. That is a beautiful note to end on. Yul Vasquez, thank you so much for your time. It has been a delight talking to you.
0: John, the pleasure was mine, my friend. You're you're amazing.
1: And that is an episode wrap on Yule Vasquez. You can find him on Instagram at yuluminati, Y-U-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I. It works better visually. You look at it, you're like, oh, that's funny. If I spell it, it loses some of its magic. Uh, You can also find him at YuleVasquez.com, which features all of his visual work, which, again, is really stunning and arresting. I recommend giving it a look. Forever. Dog.